Um, so this semester together, we are going to be looking at the life of Abraham. And Abraham, Abraham is, uh, was a very important person. He's a pretty important person in world history. The majority of the world looks to Abraham as the father of their faith. Muslims, Jews, and Christians all look to Abraham as the father of their faith. They all consider themselves children of Abraham. And really, there's no way of understanding world civilization without understanding this man's story. But um, more personally, uh, more practically, when we read the, the story of Abraham, which we will do together, um, you will see something very attractive. And Genesis 14 chapters are dedicated to this man, so there must be something important about him. And biblically speaking, to be identified with Abraham is to be a Christian in New Testament terms. God regularly and consistently in the Old Testament is saying he identifies himself as being the God of Abraham. And then we get to the New Testament. Romans 4 says that those who share the faith of Abraham are Abraham's children. So therefore, children of God. So together for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham. So tonight we're going to start where the Bible starts with Abraham in Genesis eleven twenty-seven, and reading through verse, chapter 12, verse 9. Um, it's on the screen. It's on your bulletin if you want to follow along there. I want to read this for us. This is God's word for us tonight. It is trustworthy and true, and he gives it to us in love. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milchal, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milchal and Isaac, or Isaac. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. So who is Abram? Or Abraham. Well, one pastor puts it this way. He says that Abraham didn't just live. Life didn't just happen to him. He didn't just go with the flow of events. But Abraham happened to life. You could say that he lived a big life. You could see in this text that we've already read, he stood against his family, against society, against his culture. 
Monotheism is kind of taken for granted today, but at that time, it wasn't taken for granted. He stood alone as being one who believed in one God. Now, where do you get that kind of greatness, that ability to stand alone for your convictions? Abraham lived a big life. Today, we might call him a man of vision, but that's not it. What made him great, what made Abraham great, was the call of God. The point I want to make for you tonight is that what makes your life special, what makes your life distinctive, is God's call. The call of God is what makes someone a Christian to start with, and you are not a Christian unless you have heard and embraced the call. And the call of God is the thing that shapes your life distinctively. What makes you a Christian, what makes your life a Christian life, is that you are answering, you're hearing, you're embracing his call. So tonight, I want to look at two things from this passage, the call, and second, the promise. I just want to say I'm getting lots of help tonight from um, two preachers, Tim Keller and Brian Sorgenfry. So first, the call. So when we read this, I, I started with the end of chapter 11, and I did this because I want us to see a little bit of Abram's background. These verses are telling us something really remarkable. They're telling us that all of human history has come to a dead end. You see, Genesis 1 through 11, the beginning of the Bible, is this story of spiraling descent, the spiraling down of the human race. As those those opening chapters progress, the human race gets more corrupt, more and more evil, more and more violent, oppressive, and broken. But in the midst of that spiraling down, there's one single ray of hope. And this is the family, it's a single family tree, it's a single family line. In the midst of all the violence and the corruption of Genesis 1 through 11, you have the family of Seth. And we're told in Genesis 4 that Seth alone called upon the name of the Lord. And all that means is that he alone, of all the people on the earth, worshipped God. He alone knew who God was, the God of the Bible, and he worshipped him. And so the knowledge of the true God was preserved in this family and it was passed down through this family. And then what we have in chapter 11, verse 27... We get to the account of Terah. And Terah is Abram's father. And Abram is the end of the line. It's the end of the line because these verses actually tell us something disastrous. Because the word Terah means moon. And the Ur of the Chaldeans was a hub, like a central gathering place of moon god worship. So Terah, the last in the line of Seth, the last in the line of the people who had the name of God, who had knowledge of God, The only people who knew he was, right? This is before scriptures were written down. The only people who knew who he was. The last family to know who made the world and what people are for. Think about this. The last group of people who had any sense of why things were the way they were and how they were supposed to be. They had gone over to worship idols. And we see this in their names, right? Terah, both in the place um, and the name of the father, that means moon. And all the names of the children actually have some sort of moon worship attached to them. So we get a hint here with the name, but in Joshua 24, we're told that long ago, your forefathers, even Terah, Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshiped other gods. The Lord took your father Abraham out of the land beyond the river. So what happened? Spiritually speaking, the last candle of hope just flickered out. The last place that anyone knows anything about God is right there. And spiritually, the last family that knew anything about God had just lost it, right? They have now given themselves over to worshiping the moon God. And it's not just there spiritually, but also physically, because we're told that Sarah, who's Abram's wife, she's barren. There's no hope of the family line continuing. 
They've lost God spiritually. They lost him physically. It looks like there isn't going to be any more family. One commentator, Walter Brueggemann, says that the barrenness of Sarah is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. Because in that time, the only hope that you had of any future was in your children. And if your wife is barren, then there's no hope. There's hopelessness. Or if you're barren, there is no hope. It's hopelessness. This is what he's saying here. The text is saying that there is no foreseeable future. There's no human power to invent a future. The human race and human history has just hit a dead end. It's over. And then God speaks and there's hope again. And this means two things for us. First, that without the call of God, your life, at best, you'll be nice little idolaters. Okay, I know this is offensive, but hear me out on this. Um, so my children are eight, five, and two. Uh, Leo's eight, Marilyn's five, George's two. And I just got to share this with you. Marilyn and I at the dinner table, we learned, she's in kindergarten. We learned that during the day at school, she sings... Uh, closed on Sunday, you're my Chick-fil-A. She sings that under her breath all day long at school. Um, that's what she told us at dinner. Uh, yeah, you got a lot, you know, little Kanye fan. All right, so we love our children. We're raising them in the church. We're raising them on good music. We're raising them in our family. And we're doing, Mary Clark and I are doing everything that we can to raise our children to know and love God. But unless each one of them hears the call of God personally to them, unless the call of God comes to them, disturbs them, convicts them, humbles them, shakes them up, unless the call of God comes to them and they embrace him, they're going to be nice little idolaters just like Abram. Do you see this? It doesn't matter how good your family is because everyone's default heart posture is to take something created, the moon for instance, to take something created and to worship it to take a good thing and to make it an ultimate thing. But in my case, my children are probably going to be nice because Mary Clark and I are nice. They're, they're probably going to be kind and moral because we're kind and moral. They might even be religious, but they're going to be idolaters. They're going to live for their career or their family or something else unless the call of God comes into their life. So what does this mean for you? This means that without the call of God, your life will end like the end of Genesis 11. And your life at best will reflect the values and norms of whatever culture you find yourself in. It'll be filled with idolatry. And when the last candle of hope flickers out, you'll be left with nothing. But the call of God means that when your life feels like it's a dead end, it's not. In chapter 11, Abram doesn't care anything about God. And just to say this, Abram, Abraham, so right now his name's Abram, which means father, and then later God will change his name to Abraham, which means great father or big father. Um, Sorry, I didn't say that earlier. So in chapter 11, Abraham doesn't care anything about God. He's just living. He's worshiping false gods. And then the Lord shows up to him and says to him, he speaks to him and says, I will make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. I'm going to start a whole new group of people from you who are going to become the kingdom of God. I'm going to start the kingdom of God with you. And that's the point, that the Lord shows up to someone who has no pedigree. He comes to a dark place, to a dark family that isn't looking for him. And he says, I'm going to work in your life. There is nothing about Abraham that would attract God's goodness, right? They've forsaken him for the, for the moon god. But it's to Abraham, the pagan moon god worshiper that God calls and says, Go. I'm going to bless you, and that blessing is going to reach the ends of the earth. 
Um, I heard a friend tell a story about going on a short mission trip to a, a big city in the south uh, recently, and he said that on this trip they were um, working with a, an urban farm, and he overheard one of the participants on this trip talking with this guy um, who was pierced and tattooed up um, working on the farm, and he got near to them and started listening to the conversation, and he learned that the, the, the pierced and tattooed guy had spent some time in prison for assault and other things, and then he heard him say this. He said, you know, I chuckle when I hear people tell stories about how they found Jesus. He said, that wasn't my experience at all. Like, Jesus wasn't lost. I was lost, and Jesus found me. And that's what Abram would have told you. I didn't call upon the Lord. He called upon me, found the Lord. He wasn't lost. I was lost. Think about that. That's the paradigm for the Christian life. The Christian life begins with a call. Not from man, not from you, but from God. And friends, that's really good news. If you know yourself at all, you know that that's really good news. Because it means that it doesn't matter what your family background is. It means that it doesn't matter what you have done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter how much or how little Bible knowledge you have. People are saved because of God's goodness, not because of your goodness. People are saved because of the strength of God's love and not the strength of our love. Abram shows us what the Bible is always showing us, that there's, just, there's simply no background that is too shameful. There's no situation that's too messy that will repel the call of God. Abraham shows us that when your life feels like it's at a dead end, it's not. Abram, he's, he's not a good guy. He's not a faithful guy. He's not qualified in all senses of the word. His life is a dead end, spiritually and physically. But God doesn't call qualified people. God's call qualifies people. Here's what I mean. If you're a Christian tonight, that means that you follow King Jesus, not because there was something about you that attracted him to you, not because you were smarter than other people and you figured it out, not because you were better than other people and somehow it's easier for God to love you. You follow and trust the Lord because he came bursting into your life. And this means that the posture of the Christian life is always humility because you realize that it's not because of you, but because of him, because he is a great savior. That God loves dead ends and lost causes. Friends, a Christian is not somebody that does great things for God. A Christian is someone for whom God has done great things. So God calls Abraham, and then God makes this promise to Abraham. Salvation begins with a call, and then God brings these promises, and these promises are incredible. After God calls Abraham, he says to this, he says to him, he says, I want you to leave your land, I want you to leave your father, leave your father's house, and I'm going to bless you. And then he just showers these blessings on Abram. And blessing is a word that means a rich and abundant life. It means eternal life. And so God is saying to Abram, he's saying, I'm going to make your life flourish in every way possible. Here's what I'm going to do. Yes, I'm calling you to leave your family, but I'm going to give you a new and better family. I'm going to give you a whole nation. And yes, I'm calling you to leave this land, but I'm going to give you a whole new land. Yes, Abram, I'm calling you away from everything that you identify with your family and your name, all of these things, but I'm going to give you a better name. I'm going to make your name great. And as you realize who God is, as you grow in your knowledge of his grace, you see that he uses everything at his disposal to pour out his great blessings on you. 
That is what a follower of the true God has received. God promises that he will bless you. But why? So that you will be a blessing. Because through you, he says to Abram, all the families and peoples of the earth will be blessed. To become a Christian is to be changed so that now you are not making your decisions on the basis of what is most comfortable for me. Comfort is no longer the grid for your decisions. So when you're thinking about your decisions, who should I live with next year? What job should I take? What sorority or fraternity should I join? What friends should I pursue? What should I major in? Which of these is best for my safety, my comfort, my influence, my status? If you're a Christian, you don't make your decisions like that anymore because the call of God reshapes you. Instead, when you've heard the call of God, you ask yourself the question, where can I most be a blessing? The call goes like this. If you seek to be blessed, you'll be empty. But if you seek to bless others, I will bless you. God says, if you live for the blessing of others, meaning if you live to fill others up, I will fill you. I will bless you so that you may be a blessing. God only blesses so that you may be a blessing. So you say, well, how can I be a blessing? And the answer is, what we see with Abram is that you have to get out. You have to get out. You have to get out and I will bless you so that you may be a blessing. Look at Abram. God told him to get out of his country, out of what was familiar to him. In verse one, we see this phrase, go from your country. And actually in Hebrew, it's, it's two words there, not one. And so it's saying, God is saying, go yourself out. Get yourself out. Take yourself out of the place that you're familiar with, and I will bless you to be a blessing. So what does it mean to get out of your country? What does this mean for us to get out of your family? What does it mean? What does it mean? It means to get out of your comfort zone. It means to get out of the familiar So you need to ask yourself questions about your comfort. Where are you most comfortable on campus? Where do you atrophy because it's comfortable? Is it here in the green room? Is it in your dorm room alone? Is it buried in the busyness of your schoolwork? Perhaps it's it's in your friend group. Maybe it's going out with the same people every week. Maybe where you're most comfortable is when you are hemmed in by a full schedule where you've got no margin um, to be interrupted. God says that if you're willing to get out, willing to get out of your comfort zone, I will make you a blessing. If you want to stay in safety, if you want to keep a tidy, manageable, comfortable little life, you're not going to be much use to anybody. And there are people in your life, people around you that need for you to tell them the truth about something, and you're scared to do it. And do you know why you don't want to get out of your comfort zone? It's the same reason I don't want to get out of my comfort zone fear. We don't want to be criticized. You don't want to look bad. You don't want to risk looking bad or risk making yourself vulnerable to criticism. I get this. I feel this too. And as a result of this, as a result of our fear, of a result of, of staying in our comfort zone, we're not able to bless others. And here's how it works. The call of God works like this. To the degree that you are willing to get out of your comfort zone, to get out of the familiar, out of the safe, To that degree, God says, I will bless you in order that you may be a blessing. I will appear to you. I will come into your life. And you don't have to leave campus to get out. You can do this right here, right? The college campus is a unique place to go. I mean, just look around you. Not just here, like metaphorically look around you on campus. Think about who God has already placed in your life. Who's on your hall? Who's in your classes? 
who's in your clubs, who's in your fraternity or sorority. Right? This place is teeming with people who need to be blessed, teeming with people who are hurting, who are longing for real life. And this is what Abram puts before you. It's what he puts before me. It's what he, it's what he puts before us, this call and this promise. C.S. Lewis nails this point in his book, The Weight of Glory. And he says this, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, what Lewis is saying, Lewis is saying that, like, so Abraham, he's an idol worshiper, right? Honestly, all of us are idol worshipers. We all cling to things to make sense of our lives that are apart from God, that are other than God. And Lewis is saying that what our problem is is that we're just far too easily pleased. We're far too easily satisfied. Our problem is that we think that our idols, these good things that we make into ultimate things, our problem is that we think that they're all that there is. We think that these things that we cling to to tell us who we are, whether it's our reputation or other people's approval or money or status, we think that those things are enough. And Christianity says, no, God has something far better for you. God promises a blessing from him to you and through you to others. And while probably nobody in here worships the moon god, I don't want to single anyone out if you do that. We're glad you're here at RUF. Um, But we all worship plenty of things that are just simply part of creation. Right, we cling to money, we cling to comfort, we cling to what people think of us, we cling to our reputations, we take these good things, we make them ultimate things. And the call of the Christian life is not just away from making good things into ultimate things, but the call of the Christian life is from idolatry into something better, to a blessing that's eternal. And yes, right, I know we're not Abram, so you might be asking, how did we make this jump from Genesis 12 to us? Well, look at Galatians 3.16 with me. I printed this on your bulletin. What it says here is that if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, which means all the blessings of Abraham, all the promises of Abraham come to you. And friends, the Lord makes incredible promises to you. God doesn't change you by shaming you or by by using fear tactics. God changes you by making great promises to you. That's why this is good news. So that means that we come to Jesus with open hands, with empty hands. And when you come to him, when you trust fall into his arms, you'll find that there is no condemnation for you. You'll find that the penalty of sin has been wiped away by Jesus' death. And when you trust fall into Jesus' arms, you are met with the embrace of your heavenly father who made you and who knows you by name. But in doing this, here's what you realize. You realize how hard this is, how hard it is to come helpless to Jesus. Because to come helpless means that I've got to stop clinging to my own goodness. It means that I have to give that up. And that feels like death. It's a lot easier just to keep working hard to rid myself of my shame and to guard my own comfort. We spend so much time and effort hiding in our shame, so much of our, our time and effort guarding our comfort. And Jesus is saying, come to me and I will be your good shepherd. I will bless you with something better than comforts. I'll give you myself. And I will walk with you through all of the tough times. And I will send you out to be a blessing to others. And this should lead us to examine our lives. If you're a Christian, 
And you cannot identify a time where Jesus' approval was so good that it enabled you to lose someone else's approval and still be okay. Rather than despair, maybe you need to question whether you've heard the call and go right back to the God who loves nobodies. And if the sweetness of Jesus has never made you say no to something because he is better, the answer isn't to beat yourself up. The answer is to say, maybe I've missed the call. Maybe I've missed how sweet Jesus is. Question for you to consider for yourself. Do you really believe that the Lord, the God who made you, the God who made all of this, wants to bless you and that he wants to bless others through you? Do you believe this? So why is the call of the Christian life to trust God the Father so much that you will pour out your life as a blessing to others? It's because that's the pattern of Jesus, who is the ultimate fulfillment of Abraham. The offspring of Abraham that is going to be a blessing to the whole world, we're told in Galatians that that offspring is Jesus. The way that God brings his blessing into the world, it's through Abraham's great, 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 whatever, great grandson, Jesus. He does what Abraham fails to do. You can imagine the scene before creation, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling in perfect love and comfort, and the Father looks at Jesus, the Son, and says, go be a blessing. I want you to be a blessing, Son. And so Jesus leaves the Father's house. He leaves the security and the safety of the heavenly country. He takes on human flesh, and he wanders this earth, and he is homeless, and he's fatherless, and he undergoes tremendous suffering, even to the point of death. Why? To be a blessing, to bring real life to you. This is what we sing when we sing, and can it be? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless helpless race. This is what you've got to see. Jesus answered the original call and he trusted his father perfectly. He left everything to be a blessing for you. It means that all the blessings of Abraham and all the blessings of Christ have been earned by Jesus and now can be received freely by his grace. And that changes you. And if you're thinking, I I could never handle this call, you're forgetting something. There's somebody handling it for you. Somebody's already heard the call in degrees and realms of depth beyond anything that you will ever be asked to do. You may be asked to follow Christ and your family thinks you're weird, just like Abram's did. But Jesus Christ, he answered the call and he lost his father, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lost. In other words, he went out for you. So now you can go out for him. He lost the ultimate security for you. Now you can certainly lose the little securities for him because you have ultimate security in him. When you realize this, when you realize that you cannot shake his love, it just changes you. Um, I'm going to tell you an old RUF story that I heard. It's about a guy who was in a fraternity, and he was converted. And he came to know this this unwavering graciousness of Jesus. And um, he really was the only Christian in his fraternity. And he would meet regularly with his campus minister, and they'd talk. And so he's growing in his love, and he's figuring out what it's like to follow Jesus. And every once in a while, the campus minister would say to him, um, hey, I think you should talk to some of your friends about Jesus. He's like, yeah, yeah, that'd be really awkward. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. So the campus minister loved him. They kept meeting. Every once in a while, he'd bring it up, and he'd say, yeah, yeah, I just can't do that. So finally, the campus minister said to him, he said, look, that's fine. But do you realize that if you never tell a single one of your friends about Jesus, God is going to love you just the same? 
it is not going to change his attitude towards you one bit. Well, then about a week later, the campus minister starts hearing stories that this frat guy is telling all of his friends about Jesus. And so the campus minister meets with him and he asks him, so what happened? And the guy says this, he says, man, when you, when you told me that, like whether I did or didn't tell people about Jesus, that it didn't change God's opinion of me at all, I just thought that's so awesome. I had to tell people about it. Isn't that great? See, that's it. The unmerited, unwavering love of Jesus that sticks on you because of what Jesus has done. Friends, it really is good news. And that actually begins to change you and begins to enable you to be a blessing to other people. That's the call. God is good. You can trust him. You can lay down things for the sake of others, for the sake of God. So let that call of God come into your life. Hear it. Surrender to it. Trust fall into Jesus' arms. His call will make you like him. It will make you great. It will qualify you. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Abraham. Um, Lord, we thank you that we see ourselves in him. And Lord, I pray for my friends tonight. Um, Lord, I pray for those who uh, don't know you and are struggling as they hear this. Lord, I pray that you would show them how great and gracious you are, that you are full of love and blessing and compassion. Lord, I pray for those um, of us who have heard your call um, hundreds, thousands of times. Lord, I pray that you would um, call us again and remind us and show us again how great you are. That we would turn from our, um, our mud pies into you.